Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. to remember that although something terrible has happened that person is still the same person and you're still the same person nothing has changed in your relationship just be yourself because what your friend needs right now is they need that stability of what they've always had with you a service I like to try and offer Julia is for her to let off steam so she can say exactly what she wants to me without being disloyal to anybody she loves because I know what a good wife and mum she is and she knows I know that Hello and welcome to On A Good Day with me, Elizabeth Callahan, And me, Julia Ajay. This is a podcast which looks at brain injury and its impact on all involved. Thank you so much for listening. We do have a small favour before we get on to this week's episode. Please do subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Share it with your family and friends. And if you could like and review, that would be amazing and really help make On A Good Day more visible and help it grow. In this episode, we are welcoming Emma and Helen, our very close friends who known us and our husbands for many years before and after brain injury. We'll be talking to them about the support they've given us through the good and the bad days, their memories, and how our friendships have endured following brain injury. So hello and welcome to On A Good Day to Emma and Helen. Thank you so much for joining us. You are our best friends, essentially. So Emma is my best friend and Julia and Helen is yours. Helen, how do you know Julia? Tell us a bit about how your friendship. Yeah, well, I met her 30 years ago, actually 31 on a beach in Gambia. Um, it wasn't entirely by chance because um, we share a really good mutual friend, Dave. So I was at uni with Dave and Julia worked with Dave when she was doing VSO in Gambia. So he introduced me to Julia. Um, I'm a teacher and I was complaining that I have no one to go on holiday with because all my friends sort of had jobs that didn't have the teacher holidays. So Julia being Julia said, oh, I'm going to Ghana, come with me. So I accepted I think the wine had something to do with it, but I accepted from this woman who I didn't know from Adam. Uh, went home, I was staying at Dave's house, panicked and said, I've just agreed to go on holiday with your friend. And he reassured me and said, don't worry, you'll love each other. Uh, he was right, of course, and that's where our friendship began. So we were thrown in at the deep end, six-week holiday in Ghana, 31 years ago, and we've been friends ever since. Six weeks, that's a really substantial holiday. 
It was, yeah, yeah. Julia was just finishing her volunteering in Gambia and I had a future six-week holiday, so we used it productively. It's been absolutely fabulous 31 years with you, Hal. Agreed. And, uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks for coming on on a good day. And I'm really excited as well to meet Emma, your friend Elizabeth, because I've heard so much about you. And how do you know Elizabeth? Um, Elizabeth and I have been friends since we were 11 and um, we met through a shared love of terrible dancing and Mills and Boone novels and boys <laughs> and all things you do when you're teenagers um, and we've just always been pals ever since. I don't know what's made us stick together other than we're the only people who really know and love and appreciate each other in a way that I don't think anyone else does, do they honey? You know, I think we have often wondered why we're friends, but I think over the years and especially over recent years, it's become more and more clear why we are, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, because we're really different in lots of different ways. Um, but actually, I think when it comes to the cool values of friendship, we're like exactly the same. So it's a very cool friendship. We definitely balance each other out at times like when Paul is sick and you know when times when I need a friend we're always there for each other so it's kind of cool and at the same time can banter off each other and maybe argue with each other occasionally yeah yeah there's definitely some some certain phrases and terms that only have meaning to me and Wiz that's cool oh, yes we certainly have a few of those as well I was we just know. thinking that <laughs> we won't mention Kenya <laughs> and well, I think also as well as balancing each other, we sometimes kind of add both together. So we have a bit of a cumulative effect sometimes, don't we? So I think so, yeah. A, lots of fun. Emma, can I start with a question to you? Because you've already mentioned um, some of Paul's complicated medical history. And I know that you've been there every step of the way uh, supporting Elizabeth and Paul and the family through that. And I hear that you flew to the States to see him when he was ill. What what made you make that journey? Um, it's an interesting question. And I think the truth is you don't really think about it at times like that. I mean, I am in many ways lucky that um, I'm a surgeon and a doctor and I see sick people in my life all the time. And I think through that experience at work, I've come to realise that the only thing that really matters are your friends and family. So I remember when Wiz called me, I think it was in the middle of the night, Wiz, and you must have been in the daytime in America or something like that. So you sounded really lost. And you were just saying, oh, you know, Paul is sick and I don't know what's happening. And I just thought, I'll come. I, I, there's no reason other than it just seemed like the right thing to do. I mean, it was the right thing to do because it's so stressful and overwhelming, isn't it? When someone that you know and love is sick and you're putting the most prized possession of your life in the hands of someone else who's looking after them. And you want to help, you want to change things, you want to look after your family member. But when they're as sick as that, you can't really do anything but keep sane. And so to have a pal there to keep you sane and keep you on track, I think is really important. And maybe just to, I don't know, take the load off a little bit. So we had this really weird was it five days, I don't know, this really funny five days where we'd see, you know, we'd see Paul in hospital, we'd spend a bit of time doing normal things, we'd walk around the freezing cold streets of Chicago with um, Wiz's daughter. 
and she was tiny at the time. We, we in some ways, had fun in a, in a strange way. And I think that that just managed to get her through those dark days and nights. I think it was a wonderful distraction to have somebody there. And I was out there. It was quite an unusual situation in that it was just me and some of Paul's family as well. So I did feel a bit lonely, I suppose, um, and, and a little bit isolated. And so I didn't have that support network around me. So then... Emma coming out really helped give me that extra support, but also was an amazing distraction because we kind of went shopping and for those few moments, we were kind of not thinking about how sick Paul was and could help my daughter in some ways to have a good time, even though, you know, her daddy was very, very sick. It was really important that I had that actually. And I think it really helped boost me and get me through those days. So thanks, mate. That's right. Well, that's wonderful to hear that you you were there at that point. And Helen, you've been there for me during those times as well. Um, what what do you remember about that first time when you heard that Hector was ill? Well, you rang me and I can't remember, Julia. Was it from Nigeria? Or yeah. When, yeah, so I know you rang me fairly quickly, um, very soon after it happened. And, of course, my immediate response was shock and you know, really worried about you and Hector and the children. Um, and then you just sort of move into sort of practical mode. What can I do? You know, I got down to, as soon as Hector got back to Cambridge, I tried to come down as quickly as I could. Uh, but I think what Emma said really resonated about laughing as well, because he, he had a seizure in Manchester, didn't he? When I was having a, he was up for one of my parties, actually. Uh, and we spent the party in the hospital. So it was, I had, I hosted a party when I wasn't actually there until about 3 a.m. Um, but you stayed up the following couple of days and we did laugh despite the terrible situation because I think I did serve as a distraction. Um, so what I remember, just really worrying about you, um, really worrying about Hector, I mean, the obvious things really, and just wanting to help. And like Emma said, you don't really do it out of any sense of nobility you just do it because it's the obvious thing to do and that's what you want to do um and you just hope you can be a support to the person you love the people you love so that includes both you and your family and i think that that's absolutely what you did and it's interesting that um you and emma have both used that word distraction and i think i would probably swap that for normality actually yeah. it's kind of bringing back uh, a normality into a situation that has somehow become so crazy and you know I never imagined that I would be there I didn't quite understand what was going on so to just have some kind of normality where I didn't have to do anything or look after anyone or just be a bit silly and just you know and and cry and laugh and I mean the way it happened to Hector, you had to actually manage him, really surviving, getting the oxygen, sort of ringing around the clinics, even getting him into a vehicle to get to the clinic. And, you know, you had to do all that single-handed because the health service in Nigeria isn't what it is here, of course. So you'd gone through all that stress as well as getting the kids back to the UK and yourself. And, and I just felt you needed a friend who would laugh with you as well as cry. And, yeah. And we're quite good at both laughing and crying, aren't we? Still do it. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> Helen, I understand you were mm. the first person outside of Hector's family to go and see him after his brain injury in hospital. Mm. What do you remember about that moment? And I mean, that must have been hard. Yeah, it really was hard. Plus, the way most people would feel, just shocked at seeing this vibrant, loud. I mean, Hector, um, pre-brain injury was extremely sort of outgoing, uh, a very loud person, I have to say. He still can be, uh, but he's not as loud as he once was. Um, and just seeing him knocked out was a really big shock. And your heart goes out to him. You want to protect him. You want to try and help I did find myself talking nonsense to him, which he couldn't hear, of course. Um, but but just despair, really. And again, thinking of the impacts on on Julia and on Essie and Azume. Yeah, that all those things together. Emma, right? Can I ask you about um, seeing Paul in hospital and and those hospital visits? Because, of course, as a doctor, you're very familiar with that environment. So. I guess that wouldn't have been a shock in the same way as you, for you, as it was for myself and Helen to be thrown into a very unfamiliar environment. But of course, it's different when it's someone that you know so well. Um, how was that for you? It's hard to say. I mean, I can't compare my life with your experience because I've only known one thing and I've always been a doctor. It didn't feel normal. It felt very strange, even though I was in a normal environment, I suppose. It's very strange in some ways being a doctor when you're on the other side of the coin, you know. You see things from a different perspective. You want to know what you think might be important. You don't want to step on other people's toes. You want to be caring, respectful for your friends. You're looking around and critiquing things as you do. And, you know, Paul was very, very sick. And I was really worried about him. And... It's also, I was also in a strange position because I maybe understood or thought of things that maybe Wiz hadn't understood yet because I had been there in the past and I had seen other people. And that I think was quite unique to me and Wiz because of our relationship and because of what I do for my job and because she was in this situation for the first time. So negotiating that was it was difficult is what it was, but it was actually really good as well in some ways because you know, Wiz and Paul's family were really overwhelmed with all this information coming at him. And you'll remember when doctors are telling you this, that and the other. And then the doctors disappear and you don't see them for ages. And then your brain wakes up and you think, I didn't remember any of that. So it was quite nice to be there to be able to repeat some of the information for Wiz when you know, perhaps, you know, she'd calm, not calm down a bit, but, you know, she'd settled down a bit and wanted to ask another question. And so it was nice to have that role for her. I remember it very, very clearly. I remember the whole thing. I can remember where, you know, if you took me to that hospital, I'd be able to walk straight up to the, you know, to the same bedside. It's funny how you remember things in that really clear way when the time is so stressful. And I suppose uh, similarly with with you, Helen, how do you remember, what do you remember about Julia and how she was responding and to the information that she was getting with the, the situation and how did you kind of help her? I guess one of the things that is quite difficult to manage is kind of getting information out to other friendship groups. And I know I had a group of friends who had a WhatsApp group that would kind of message everybody so I wasn't being bombarded by yeah. a million people asking me how poor yeah. was. Although they still did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was sort of tasked with, if you like, telling the Northern contingent 
uh, Hector's got a lot of very close friends in Manchester. And uh, so, as I remember, I sort of passed on information to avoid Julia getting lots of calls. What I remember about Julia at the time is how capable she was and how efficient. And Julia herself has a lot of knowledge. Um, I don't know where she's quite acquired it. I mean, I know where she's got it since brain injury. But before then, I, I felt that she'd got quite a good understanding of what had happened to Hector and she was extremely strong I don't know if she felt that way but she certainly presented as extremely strong and I'm sure that would be automatic pilot and thinking about the needs of the children because they were old enough particularly as we to have some sort of understanding I guess plus they've been uprooted from the home in Nigeria so there was that extra ordeal for the kids and Julia just, I don't know how she did it. She just, to me, seemed extremely capable and extremely strong and still had time for me when I was visiting, still had time to ask how I was. And, you know, <laughs> that really wasn't the issue, was it? But but still had time for her friends and her family. So I, I've often been in awe of Julia, but at that time, that that was a big one for me, seeing how amazing she was with this situation dealt her out of the blue well I think that's that's really uh moving to hear you say that Helen thank you um I think that the whole thing about communication outwards um I did struggle with actually I think I felt it I felt at the time it was difficult to give the information that maybe people wanted because I felt so protective of Hector yeah um you know and I I I we were talking actually to um a couple last week in our podcast and we were talking about how that kind of feeling of of wanting to protect and being defensive and and thinking oh I don't know if I want people to see Hector at yeah. this stage yeah. and I found that communication quite difficult I know that you, there was a lot going on in the background with friends and conversations and I know that you were a great help in managing that so thank you well you're really welcome but I have to say I feel quite privileged that you did ring me immediately and I was first to see him that for me was a massive sign of our friendship and so thank you for that accolade really because it wasn't one I wanted, but, um, you know, well, I did want it. Once the thing had happened, I wanted to help. But for you to ring me very quickly, very early on, shows how much we mean to each other, and that's really important. So thank you. How did you manage all of that communication, Elizabeth? In terms of with friends and family? Yeah, you were saying about a WhatsApp group, and I think Hector actually had his brain hemorrhage pre-WhatsApp. I don't think yeah, it, I did. I don't think it existed then. I didn't. So you had a WhatsApp, but what did you control that? I had nothing to do with it, which was great. I would kind of pass on information to primarily one person. So we have quite a lot of shared friends with some of Paul's school friends, some people that I went to university with. So all care so much about Paul and myself as well but for so long you know he was in a coma for six weeks there was not really much information to impart <laughs> the constant how is he how is he how's he doing today it's minuscule what, what's happening and then you would take three steps back and then actually it can be quite worrying for friends to hear all the every single part of every single day because 
it, you know, it's it's the longer game, really. Things can change so much within a few hours when somebody's in intensive care. I didn't feel there was a lot of value on passing every single thing onto them. But I know his, his some of his family was relaying some stuff as well to, to one of his friends. But yeah, there was kind of a central people who were then getting everything out to, to a WhatsApp. And there was a kind of support with WhatsApp. So people were bringing me cooked food for me to heat up and that was really lovely and really thoughtful and was something that I really really valued because at that point in time it's not something you're thinking about necessarily is eating and totally looking after yourself and actually at one point I lost my phone my phone completely died didn't lose it just just broke and you know what I didn't was in no rush to get it replaced so I had some time where there was no communication and that felt quite good for that for that point in time. Um, I had Paul's phone and somebody did eventually track me down. <laughs> but it was nice to have that break because it can be really overwhelming. And I would say this to, and I'm sure people, it will resonate with people in that situation. It can be incredibly overwhelming to have constant questions and when you especially when you don't have any answers everybody's you know wants answers and wants to know how they're gonna you know work out how they're gonna be how they're gonna get better um but sometimes there is no answers for that but yeah I really appreciated that network I would say though that people don't necessarily want the answer to the question that they're asking so when they're asking how is Paul I'm not sure they're really asking for the updates about oh well you know the oxygen came down today or he sat up for the first time they're not after that actually what they're trying to do is they're trying to show an amount of support and I think that if I was to give advice to people moving forward after you know the experience of you know being Paul's friend and was his friend during this thing it's really is understanding that people are mostly asking because they just want to know that they just want to say that they're there and and I'm sure you realize that if you were just to reply back with a heart or a kiss or whatever and just to say nothing's changed but he's all right they would be comforted knowing that they'd given you a you know some friendship and that you know there wasn't any big change so I'd say to anyone who's going through this at the moment, don't feel pressured to be an information source or a broadcaster. Um, people are generally just reaching out to say, I haven't forgotten about you. I'm thinking about you. Can I help? I'm here. Emma, that is such a, such a fantastic um, new light on that for me because actually I think when I remember back to being fully immersed in you know intensive care, uh next to Hector actually I was looking at the minutiae of everything the oxygen levels the functioning of the kidneys the did Hector want a nicotine patch when he was unconscious I didn't understand that but you know the the minutiae of everything that's actually what my answer to that question was on a minute by minute basis so actually I don't think that I could see if someone was saying How's Hector? It would be, well, the oxygen levels are this, and this happened to. So that's that's a really great piece of um, advice, I, I think, as a friend. You know, he's hanging in there. He's hanging in there. All's the same. Thanks for thinking of me. And you can politely say thank you for your affection, and that's as much as I can do right now. 
because your friends realize that they're reaching out and they realize that they're not expecting this whole you know medical update not only do you hand it over to someone else but also you know if you know all the detail over to someone else but realize that people just want to show their love I think maybe there's a better way of phrasing it because I have to say I found it quite stressful to ha- having that constant bombard so I think somebody says thinking of you great thinking of you and Paul then you can just heart it or you can just say thanks or so so then there's no expectation to to give that medical update so maybe it's just the way that that's phrased is in a slightly different way so it's not a it's not a question it's more of a statement but you know what I would say one thing that's interesting looking back at all of this is no one is an expert at this you go through what everyone goes through this for the first time, not being able to navigate it, not knowing what to do, not knowing what to say. And if you ask, you know, when I was thinking about, you know, what was it like doing this or that, the other, we all made mistakes and we all overstepped. Well, completely. The but this is why I'm saying for any like the, from my experience, that probably would have been better. I have uh, what's happened has happened and that and people will still do that. And that's fine. But I think that would have been a better phrasing. That's all. You feel quite impotent when this happens and you want to help. But given what we're all saying now, perhaps if it happens to your friend, the thing to do is to message your friend and say, look, I know you'll be bombarded. I'm not expecting an answer, but I just want you to know I'm here if you want to ring. I'm here 24-7, middle of the night, if you can offer that service, which I always felt I could. Um, But I think if, if you were to write to your friend without expecting a response, that would be helpful. Because I guess you want to know you cared for and loved. But like you said, having to answer a hundred times when you don't really know very much yourself is really difficult, but you don't want to look rude and you do want to keep in touch with people. So maybe the friend's role could be to say, I know you're busy. I know you probably don't know that much, but I'm here if you need me. Ring me anytime. And that would be a useful form of support. I mean, I don't know what you two think, but... Totally, totally. Because you, you know, you obviously do want that support, and I appreciate every single person who has gone out and supported me because it's it's been everything Mm -hmm. for me. And yeah, it is. I'm here for you, basically. You're just saying I'm here for you, and how can I help? And you know, going sometimes going into practical mode. Emma definitely got into practical mode and would often come over and bring food, especially when things weren't looking great, and bring a bottle of wine if necessary. Yeah, very necessary. (laughs) Well, I would also like to champion the card, the postcard. Oh, you're you're queen of the cards, Juju. Queen of the cards. And, you know, I... But but the lovely, yeah. I find find receiving a written message very powerful because it's there. You can hold it. You can keep it. You can return to it. Um, and someone has taken the time to write that to you as well. And, and leave the house. <laughs> yes, find a stamp, put it on the envelope yeah. and do all of those yeah. things. So, I, you know, I think there are lots of ways to say that too, mm. aren't there, and lots mm. of different messages. And, you know, thank you to, to all the people as well that sent flowers, that, yes, made made dishes and food and did all of those practical things, got my kids into school my mm-hmm. my sisters so uh, you know all of those things are so 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 practical and needed at the time um and such a huge help yeah having those local parents was was really helpful to 
help with the school run and kind of the last thing you want to do is sometimes you just don't want to see people. Julia, how do you feel Helen has helped you and your family over, you know, the last 15 years, is it? It is, it's 15 years. And I, well, I, I think it's, you know, the hand of friendship, Helen's wonderful hand of friendship to us all. And also, Helen, your energy and the way that you have, I think, pulled me out of situations and given me the opportunity to go on holiday with you, which we're Mm. doing next week, which is amazing, which I'm so excited about. But the, the opportunity to be myself, to not have those responsibilities. And, you know, Helen, just for a little while, um, and Helen has this wonderful way of having said to my children when we've gone away um, for a few days together, Helen always said to my children and to Hector, thank you for lending me, Julia. And it was mm, it mm. was so powerful to because it recognised that there was uh, there was something in me going as myself and that they were playing a part in that too and I always remember that Helen I think it's it's so wonderful Aww. so the the time and support that you've given as well in visiting us and you were instrumental in us going on our first holiday as a family abroad which was a huge step for us and again your your energy and enthusiasm and help in achieving that would wouldn't have happened without you so you continue to to offer a huge amount to us all. Well, thank you. But I have to say it's not entirely selfless because, as you know, I love spending time with you. So there's a bit of a selfish sort of <laughs> motivation behind it in that I like getting you to myself and, you know, having fun. So um, thank, thanks for the thanks. But it is motivated by some degree of selfishness. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad about that. Um, but Emma, I'm going to ask you the same question. Elizabeth, I'm going to ask you the same question. How has Emma helped you since Paul's been ill? Gosh, in so many ways. Absolutely. Just, you know, just a rock there. I think, you know, someone to talk really honestly with, without any judgment at all, has been just, you know, so, so grateful for the ups and downs, the challenges, just everything laid bare. There's someone to cry on the phone to, to laugh on the phone to, someone to hang out with, to take us away from the distraction, help out with the kids as well and, you know, spend some time with with uh, my two children and go away as well, actually. Yeah. So we've had a few trips ourselves, which is just so instrumental to you know it's in can be really intense living with someone with a brain injury as we cover so much on this podcast can be really intense and uh, along with children as well you know I think every parent should get away at some point so having somebody to spend some time with and extract you from that life for a little bit is just helps your whole well-being. Well, I was going to say, there is something to be said, isn't there, for someone who knows everything about you. So you don't have yeah. to tell the story again. 
you have to explain why today was slightly challenging or why you're annoyed at this little thing or you're upset at this little thing. And everyone else would say, oh, it's all right. But your pal who's been there with you the whole time kind of knows the background to it and they know that you're not crazy or at least they accept you for your craziness. So you can just actually get to the headline straight away and just say, oh my God, this happened. Or mm. you can say, actually, that was just, re- I really thought I was doing fine and I'm not. And you don't seem dramatic and you don't seem nuts and you don't seem selfish and you just seem like you. The longer that I go on in my life, the more I realise that long, you know, lifelong friendships are to be treasured. And it takes 30 years to grow a best friend mm. and <laughs> you can't grow another one. Um, and you have to really value that friend mm-hmm. because even if we were to start again, uh, we'd never have each other. With <laughs> I think a service I like to try and offer Julia is for her to let off steam so she can say exactly what she wants to me without being disloyal to anybody she loves because I know what a good wife and mum she is and she knows I know that. I just hope that my friendship means that she can say exactly what she feels and if she is having a bad day, I'm there to listen and try and understand. That sounds just perfect. Do you do you either of you feel that you know, the brain injury has has changed in what ways it's changed the friendship? And have you had anything positive come out of this whole situation to happen? I suppose for me, the fact that not that I needed to prove it, but Julia knows how much I, I love her and her family. And you, I suppose you can demonstrate that by giving your time and ear. I suppose that's a positive, but I suspect she would have known it anyway. I suppose watching Julia manage such a, a trauma and seeing Hector improve, because we don't live near each other when I in the early days when I did see Hector, it was just so wonderful to see him um gradually improving. So that became a positive and you get quite excited about going down to see him and see how he was getting on. And the fact that He's quite open about his brain injury and how much he loves his wife and children. He's very, very open about that, probably more than he was before. (laughs) Um, I think it sort of brought out a sensitive side of Hector, which wasn't always as obvious before the brain injury. It's quite interesting. I don't know if you agree with that, Julia. I feel that he's, he's definitely a lot more in touch with his feminine side now. Does that make sense? It does. I I think to me the way i view it is that his his core values have remained unchanged but some yeah. of the some of the protective bravado around that has has dropped and absolutely and so, um the true essence of him i think is yeah is there he expresses himself in mm. that way better ironically <laughs> with a brain mm. injury is more open about his feelings perhaps i agree that the values remain the same he's always been family orientated but i think he's a lot more gentle now and open about how much he loves you and his children i mean when he was first starting to speak one of the first things he said was you know my wife and the children are everything um or words to that effect and i just think about the children and that was one of the very early things he said. Yeah, that's definitely a positive. I quite like that side of Hector because he is a big, boisterous, 
loud person, life and soul of the party. People flock to him. I mean, they still do, but before the brain injury, he was, I would argue, a lot louder, wasn't he? Mm, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People still flock to him, though, don't they? Oh, they still flock to him, absolutely. <laughs> and and Emma, what, what about you? The same question back to you. I mean, I think it's important to say I would never have wished this on anyone, and I no. certainly wouldn't mm -hmm. have wished a brain injury on Paul because he has always been and remains the most wonderful of men and I adore him but you know part of being human is about growing through adversity and we have made of it what it is it has become a part of the fabric of our lives and we've changed as a result of it and I can name a million amazing things that have happened to us over the last decade and I don't think we would have expected any of them to happen. And it's changed us. There are loads of positives. There's a big change. But we have become more human. We've become kinder. We've become more communicative. We've become more patient. We've become more aspirational. We've taken life more, you know, by the hands or the mantle and done things that we wanted to do. We've come to grips with our own humanity and, you know, the fact that life is finite and that we've got to treasure every moment. So, yeah, there are loads of positives. There's lots of glimmers in, you know, what has been a really, for want of a wetter, better word, bizarre time um, in our lives. And it will go on. And we'll always have fun, won't we, man? You know, we'll find, we'll find a way. And absolutely. And I have to say, I think our friendship has grown stronger as a result of this. I, I would say that was the one positive that is very visible, is that we have become so much tighter. I think there, there's been times in our friendship where it has been kind of, we haven't been as close. You know, you go through different cycles in your life, don't you? But this has definitely cemented our friendship in a really different way, but in, in a wonderful way. Yes. And, and I think that I have been able to be at my most vulnerable with Helen, with you, Helen, and that the situation has led to that or, you know, much about it at different times has led to that. And I think that that has deepened our friendship as well. Just to finish off, because I know time is getting on, how would or, or what kind of advice do you think you would give to people who are who might have a dear friend or a family member who's had a brain injury? I think be available whenever you can. And I am someone who genuinely doesn't mind being rang in the middle of the night, even if I'm at work the day after. I'd rather my friend in need do that than not. I think don't ask too many questions. I'm a bit of a, <laughs> a questioner. And maybe state that you're there rather than ask, like I said before, how's he doing, how's she doing? And I think you can be a conduit for other people, uh, to other people rather. So perhaps relay information. So ask your friend, what what can I do? Do you want me to tell people not to ring you or do you actually want them to contact you and then pass on that information? Julia don't really want messages at the moment or maybe drop her a card or, and, and perhaps advise other people that are perhaps are not as close to the situation. Uh, Julia's got a, a vast army of friends, as I'm sure you know, and when it happened, everybody was ringing everybody and um, wanted to help. And I think as a close friend, you can find out exactly what she wants and pass that on to other people. 
Yeah, uh, great advice. Really, really good advice. And Emma, what advice would you give? You have to remember that although something terrible has happened, that person is still the same person and you're still the same person. Nothing has changed in your relationship. And there's no need for you to act in a way that's any different to how you would normally act. Just be yourself because what your friend needs right now is they need that stability of what they've always had with you. Sometimes I would say, as opposed to how, it depends on your personality. I always, I always acknowledge the elephant in the room. When I'm scared, I would have said to Wiz, I'm really scared. Or when I want to be brave, I would say it's all going to be all right. I don't think there's any, when you really have a close friend, as close as Wiz is to me, we can be that honest. And actually saying mm-hmm. those things that are going through your mind that your friend might not feel that they can say to anyone else is just so powerful. And it makes you feel as though there's someone in it with you. So to me, we live, Wiz and I just live through terrible, brutal honesty. (laughs) And because that honesty is with love, um, and it really is with love and acceptance, more or less it works out for us because we know that we're always there for each other. So I would just say be yourself and, and look, be yourself and remember that your friend is is the same person that they always were. They just need a bit more love. Absolutely. Well, thank you both, Helen and Emma. It's been absolutely fabulous talking to you. And I think that you have given, certainly myself, um, more insight, taken us back to some of those early days, but also just really reinforced the very strong and dear friendships that we have with each of you and how important they are in the journey that we're on. Thank you so much, both of you, for coming on today. It's been a pleasure talking with you and reliving some of those times and remembering how much of a support you were then and continue to be during our journey, which is continues. I know clearly you will always be there. So thank you. Well, you're both an inspiration. I'm sure Emma agrees with me. You're both handling a very, very challenging situation really well. And I think the podcast is a great way of sharing your experiences with other people. So thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Helen. That's really lovely. You're the best, guys. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's been absolutely amazing. Well, that was a conversation that really brought up some interesting discussions, didn't it, Elizabeth? Yeah, it really did. And wonderful to have Emma and Helen on the podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. If you want to hear more about the importance of social connections, do scroll back to episode 11 with Dr. Fergus Gracie and also our last episode with Susie Hayden about family therapy. You can also find us on social media. We're on Instagram, onagood.day, and Twitter, onagood underscore day. We also have a Facebook page too. So keep an eye on those links. Make sure you're following us. And until next time, have a very good day. 
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.